Hello, and welcome to the Zircona Growth Insights Podcast, bringing clarity to the complexities of consumer behavior. Episodes feature industry experts, partners, and guests across the 26 industries we track, representing nearly $4 trillion in global consumer spending. Our goal is to give you transformative insights and the most complete view of consumer and market opportunities. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Growth Insights. I'm your host, Joan Driggs, and this is one of our Fresh Pulse series episodes, um, where I'm joined by Jonna Parker, team lead of Circana's Fresh Foods Group, and Anna Marie Rohrink, president of 210 Analytics, a valued Circana partner. Um, before we kick off, I want to congratulate Jana, who just returned from receiving her second Top Women in Grocery Award from Progressive Grocer and Ensemble IQ. And Jana, we here at Circana, we value you so much, but I just think it's so nice that the industry also is recognizing the contributions that you're making. So thank you so much. I want to mention while she didn't get to go to the conference, Anna Marie also received a top women in grocery. Um, and so I think it's, you know, I guess you've got us both. I know. And then you're a former winner, Joan. So it's a, a twig friendly podcast today. I'm honored to be here with you ladies. What I want to talk about today or what we're going to talk about today is the retail landscape. And as we look into 2024, I'm looking across and I'm seeing that more retailers, both like value retailers and mass merchandisers like Walmart and Target have really upped their fresh game so that people can buy all of all of their needs in one visit. And in fact, we know from our work that people are actually, their consideration set for the number of stores that they visit is shrinking. So it's getting more and more vital to be part of that consideration set. So Jana, I want to start with you, you know, starting today as we're looking ahead well into 2024 and beyond, how are retailers building out their point of differentiation? What would you recommend? Where do they start? I think points of differentiation have to start outside the store. We look a lot in Circana throughout the course of this year, working on specific categories in fresh. And what we find is that most retailers do carry slightly different things inside a category like cut veg or salads or in their meat set. But the struggles to create volume or to have those categories really drive growth end up being less about what's happening in the store and more the fact that they're not seeing as many foot traffic, you know, they're not seeing the same kind of foot traffic in depth of shopping that they were seeing pre-pandemic. We know it actually ticked up one point that we're now seeing 11% more trips to the store than we did pre-pandemic. So while you're right, individual retailer consideration sets have shrunk for the average American consumer, they include so many different outlets that a traditional grocer 20 years ago wouldn't have thought they competed with. So that's so interesting because, you know, I have talked for many years about that in-store experience, but I really like what you're saying is that in-store experience doesn't matter if you haven't built up an expectation with all the messaging that people receive before they get to the store. Yeah. And I think it's where, you know, we've been getting a lot of questions lately. And I know you have two, Anna Marie. I think the question that we're asking is slightly wrong. The question we're asking is why would someone want to go to a Trader Joe's or a club store or a Walmart or Target when MyFresh has more assortment and it's fresher and 
Look at how many SKUs of blah, blah, blah I have and how beautiful my displays are. But the reality of when you talk to the average American consumer, they have an idea in their mind before they ever step foot into Trader Joe's what that experience is gonna look like. It's gonna be a treasure hunt, it's gonna be unique, and it's gonna be affordable. On the Aldi front, we know they made major investments and now the shopping experience, while limitedly assorted, is still not just about having the cheapest and the fall off the truck stuff. It is really high quality. And yes, it's limited assortment, but it's a meaningful assortment. You can shop and get the majority of what you need for dinner or to fill in your pantry. And I do think that we have mistaken as an industry having the most assortment, and I hate to say this, the ubiquitous word freshest, that we've mistaken that for being the only thing anyone ever wants from the fresh foods department, when in actuality, they want relevancy. And the biggest death nail that I think we have to combat in this decade going forward is you cannot be all things to all people all of the time. The middle is going to continue to get squeezed. So I'm not here saying everyone should move to limited assortment. Believe me, I'm not. But I do think relevant, differentiated, consumer-focused assortment choices, not just the highest velocity turns for the most people. One stat we've been talking a ton about in the lead up to Top Trends and Fresh and now in the week or two following, including at the Top Women Grocery event last week, is when you pull traditional grocery, even for fresh, and you look at the demographics, we can slice it a bunch of ways. But the one that has the biggest dichotomy, the demographic difference that is the biggest dichotomy is traditional grocery, what we call food stores in Circana, is not doing well with consumers under age 40, really under indexing. And all those other segments of the channel that we had looked down our nose at and thought they're not good at fresh, they're way over indexing. I think a lot of traditional grocers are being buoyed right now by the boomers. And the boomers who are shopping the way we've always shopped, but what's going to happen five years from now when those people who are, you know, 25 are now 30, 35 and 40. I think, you know, we've got to start to change now. And I think the retailers that are making steps in the direction to really aim at the way younger people want to discover and find and shop will be the ones who are still here 10 years from now. I like what you're saying about the younger generation, because we've seen this before. Um, for example, I do a lot of work with NYU Stern Center for Sustainable Business on sustainability. And it's the younger cohorts that are demanding more sustainable options, and they're actually getting them, but they way over index. And when you see those younger cohorts really leaning into something, you know, in, in this instance, maybe less traditional channels, you have to say that is a solid indicator of where we're moving to. So I I completely agree with you. And I want to pivot to you a little bit, Anna Marie, because John is very specifically talking about some of the fresh departments, but I have to think that there's a little bit of rollover across the store. Can you talk about that? Sure. Yeah. And, and just to give a quick couple of sentences on your first question relative to the differentiation through fresh, I would say by and large, fresh is always the differentiator because center store to a large extent 
is the same for most grocers with the exception, of course, of private label. And that's why private label has become not just a cheap option, but also really an option to differentiate with your own flavors, regional, and really becoming known for something. So back to being fresh overall, just being that point of differentiation, that to me goes to an opportunity. I always call it pre-tailing and retailing, right? Retailing what happens in the store, pre-tailing everything that happens before it. And that's, I think, what Jana was talking about relative to having a reputation for something, being known for something. Um, I always laugh when you talk about Meyer. what are they known for in their deli? It's it's mustard potato salad. Like everybody knows if you're there, that's the item to get. Publix certainly known for their sandwiches and their fried chicken and if you're known for something like that, and then you're in the mood for a certain meal, that automatically your brain starts to link a certain item to a certain store. So if you think about the produce department or really any fresh department, uh, the number of items has never come back to pre-pandemic levels. I think we all realized that we were entirely overskewed, that we did not need um, 10 different sizes or flavors in something, but really draw back into the core. And that was, of course, prompted by the supply chain challenges. But the assortment has come back a little bit, but there is really no department that has come back to the prior levels. And that, to me, really gives an opportunity to retail to leverage what restaurants do so well, and that is limited time offers. I don't care if you're produce or if you're meat or deli or anything, uh, I was at a small little independent a few weeks ago, um, and in their produce department, they had Korean melons. I had no idea what they were, but they had a whole display in the middle of the entire aisle, Korean melons. They explained what they were. They had samples. It was an in and out item. And what a great way to engage and get that extra unit in the basket, which we know we need so badly. Um, relative to the meal solutions, um, I, I think you're absolutely right. That does go into different departments and frozen is really your original meal solution. If you think about it with the various dinners that can be heated up. Um, but I saw other ways where frozen is stealing from fresh ideas as well. Um, typically your meal stations sit in the frozen food department where meat, produce, sides from deli all come together. In this particular case, I was in Harmon's in Utah, and they had a frozen bunker set uh, where they had frozen veggies, uh, and there were different kinds, uh, Brussels sprouts, all sorts of different things. Then they had several different frozen side dishes, so your mac and cheese, your, your heat and eat potatoes kind of things. And they had several protein options as well. It was breaded chicken patties, burgers, you name it. So all of a sudden, you could just look at that bunker and it was priced at a meal deal. We That idea caught so many eyes on LinkedIn when I posted those pictures that I decided to put that in a, in a survey with consumers. And I said, what is your interest in having either a frozen end cap or something that has all the frozen items for dinner, much like you'll see in Fresh? And it was one of the highest scoring interest areas among consumers. So it goes back down to solutions, not silos. And that's a message that Jana and I have been talking about for, I don't know how many years, oh, but sure. uh, it's happening. And you know what, with those, with those bunkers and the, the, the mix of vegetables and stuff, that's what makes it a little more personal. You know, it's not just the meal in a box where you open it up when you get home and see what was on offer, you get to pick the elements and, 
And that's what makes people happy. They're the ones, you know, Anna Marie, you mentioned this before. People kind of go back to routine. You, when you're, when you're pinching pennies the way we are right now, people want to know that what they pick up for their family is going to be what the family enjoys. So it might be, you know, Brussels sprouts over green beans or broccoli. I always joke that solutions, not silos, isn't just my favorite phrase. I live it. Um, I think it's been well documented on this podcast for our listeners that I'm not the best cook and that I have two teenage hungry boys. And as most of you listening, I have a full-time job. So solutions.silos we've been talking about forever. And I got really excited. I literally texted Anne-Marie the other day here in Phoenix, Arizona. I was in my, uh, a store near me um, that I don't go to often. It is adjacent to a mall. It's a, it's a major supermarket chain and it's adjacent to a mall. And so I had some errands and I was like, oh, I'll pop in and get milk and a few other things. The way most people are shopping today, right? And I was so pleasantly surprised by two things. I literally stopped in my tracks and had a moment. It was the same week that I was getting ready to go to to Twig. So it was like, oh my gosh, maybe I'm doing something in this industry. They had reset. They had really taken real estate that had been previously used by their deli for hot bars and salad bars. And they had really turned it into a refrigerated meal section. I mean, it's the podcast. I'm not sharing data. So I guess I'll just say it's Albertson's Ready Meals. And, you know, my local Kroger fries has also done a lot with Home Chef. But what really struck me, um, both of you, is I've been saying this forever. I've studied the real the Ready Meals programs. I've talked with the leaders of it. We've looked at it in the data. I've seen some bunkers about it. You know, Albertson's also has done some really nice things at four for 20 in all of their stores. But in this specific store, which is a test store for the chain, they had taken that valuable, to your point, Anna Marie, real estate, and they had a wide variety of products there. I could get buffalo cauliflower in a bakeable dish with blue cheese on top. What? For $4? What? And then I started to look around for my boys. One of my boys um, loves sandwiches. And I had a whole plethora of time to wait in line without having to expend too much. There were sizes and flavors and adjacencies from branded items that went along with it. And I stopped in my tracks and I went, oh my goodness, I am going to come to this store now more often. And I have. But you know what struck me with it? And by the way, Anna Marie, I also walked over to Frozen. They had a new meal deal launching. It wasn't yet group priced, but they've taken over a door in their Frozen case in Albertsons and have center mains that bake. And then right next to it, they had frozen sides that bake. And what I loved about the front of package messaging on those meal items in Frozen was they bake at the same temperature. Those kinds of little things caught my eye as a consumer because How often have we bought two different things from the parts of the frozen department and one's done it this time and one's done it that time. Or or one is half an hour and one is 10 minutes. You know, I always go back. Remember you and I walked around in Arizona and we went to a small independent, I forget the name. And they had, yes, they had fully cooked grilled steaks with the pretty little great steaks, little pattern on there and everything. And it dawned on me how many people are going to put that steak in the microwave at full power blast and make a piece of leather out of it. (laughs) There need to be instructions when you do things like that, where it's, you know, put it down on reheat power or 30% power or whatever to where it heats up, but it doesn't dry it out and cook it further. 
but that's the the temperature thing. I think that is dead on. It is solutions is not just putting items together. It is truly making it easier for the shopper and having to have, you know, two ovens or having something hot and then having to reduce the oven temperature and making something else hot. That's not truly what's I going was, to um, I did a podcast with our colleague, Joe Derachowski recently, and he, he specializes in home and he, we were talking about small home appliances and the day is coming when the appliances will be smart enough mm-hmm to handle that for you. So, yep, instructions are great. People really need them, but soon enough, <laughs> your appliances will be like, don't worry, Jana, I got this. Kind of well, thing. I can't wait for one. I think others might be worried about our overlords taking over, but I was going <laughs> to say to your point about it, a couple things have struck me and I've thought about this a lot. So we've covered two things that are vitally important so far. We've covered the importance of ease and I continue to use the the statement that our um, national eating trends have found that especially in 2023, people at home, the most popular type of dinner is, I think what Anna Marie calls componentizing, they call low effort. It is essentially meal assembly where you're still doing multiple things, but you're getting, but you're choosing your components and making a meal out of it. That's 41% of all dinners today. And I think one of the things that struck me is now that I am a convert and a consumer of both Kroger and Albertson's programs in this space, both in the frozen and the refrigerated, two things have struck me. The first is, I think because there's a heavy reliance on own brand, two things have ended up happening. The packaging is sometimes awesome and sometimes awful. I have actually bought a couple things that had no instructions with them. And I frantically called my friend who cooked, who then admonished me that I didn't make this myself, but then said, had to give me instructions on how long I should bake this thing. And because in that case where the item didn't come with instructions, because I know that there was likely an intention to make it look so deli, right, with the white label and the simple packaging, we missed an entire opportunity to tell someone like me how to buy that. So now guess what I do when I go in? I flip it over. Are there instructions or not? And I think we're on to that. We have to think as marketers, not just as food preparers. And then the second piece that I worry is a fatal flaw. Whether you're going to do this through a commissary, you know, we get the question then, was this a commissary? Was it done in store? Was it shipped by a third party? And then of course, the private label piece. The one fatal flaw of all of those decisions is who's going to market this outside the store? Remember what I described, and I am the target market of this, and I literally have friends in the Phoenix area that I want to ping, and I've said to others, hey, did you check this out, what they're doing at the Desert Ridge Albertsons? Had I not wandered in that day for milk, I would have never known. And now it's literally disrupted my shopping patterns in the two weeks since I saw that. The kids are asking me to stop there tonight to pick up new things for dinner because there's so much in and out variety. We can have a totally different meal tonight when we're busy. But how would I have known? And I do really think there has to be value in fresh in outside the store marketing. And the only way that happens is either these retailers in their own brand's marketing budgets are having advertising outside the store that isn't, hey, Honeycrisp apples are on sale this week, but are actually, did you know we reset this entire store? Um, I've now started to see out of board digital, you know, billboards, digital billboards from grocers. Why aren't they touting these new sets? Why aren't we all over social media showing these beautiful foods that were assembled? Well, because a lot of own brands don't have a marketing budget. So who has a marketing budget? Your third-party partners. 
But if everything is forced to be a simple label and own brand, you can't tap into that money. We've got to do, I think we're now kind of shown up with solutions and awesome foods and fresh. We didn't even get into snacking, which I guess we'll do next podcast. Snacking and entertaining is also blown up with some really insanely cool solutions at every one of my stores in the area, not just the independents, but even the big chains. But if we're not telling people and they've shrunk their consideration set and it doesn't include you, how would they ever know? And that's what I worry. I then, as I came home and had that experience after I was frustrated about the one that didn't have instructions, I said, oh gosh, this will probably be gone in six months because it won't turn. They won't have moved market share because walking around that store, that store happens to be adjacent to a um, community of retirees, very popular here in Phoenix. And I do think it was just like that AJ's we saw in Marie. I think it was right on the money that you're going to get a lot of retirees who don't want to cook, a lot of good single serve portions. But the me, who frankly is younger and goes to more stores, I don't see a lot of that in that store. And I wouldn't have if I hadn't wandered in. So I just worry about where's the marketing side of this to disrupt that consideration set. And that's what Fresh, I think, really needs, almost more so than we always need good assortment. But where's the good promotions in and outside the store? And Emory, I'd love your take on the promotional piece and the marketing outside the store, because I know you do such a great job of assembling all of these great pictures of these displays. But what's some cool things you've seen people do outside the store to try to disrupt this? Yeah, and I think therein lies the whole issue. So we often talk about supermarkets and how they're losing share. And one of the reasons for that is that they are really the ones that are still very big in boomers, as you mentioned. But and that means they're always sitting on the fence, right? We know our older shoppers might not like self-checkout and high integration of digital uh, engagement in the store, whereas the younger shoppers don't struggle with that. So in a way, when the more generations, incomes, et cetera, you have shopping at the store, the harder it is. In the way that is happening with the research that is happening prior to going to the, the trip, if you go even 10 years ago, it was all about the paper circular, like 80% of people said in the paper circular is where I find what's on sale. Now they would either just look at their primary store or sit at the kitchen table with a stack of flyers and make their list according to those items. Now, fast forward, Mail has gotten extremely expensive. Paper has gotten extremely expensive. The cost of running an ad has gotten such. In addition to, it's extremely difficult to distribute it at this point in time because they were always folded in with newspapers and the newspaper markets collapsed. So all of a sudden, there's retailers that have to actually mail out their ads. Long story short, a lot of it has been pushed to digital, but you can't just buy an email list. You have to have people opting in. So one of the best strategies I've seen in that regard is use the departments that are most researched, which is produce and meat. So put your digital signage in those departments to get people to sign up. That's number one. So in terms of digital, for a long time, it was just sending a static ad to um, an email and people would browse through it. Now what we're seeing is that there's a lot of personalization in those digital ads. So your ad is going to look different from mine. Text is up and coming a little bit. Uh, that's a whole other opt-in process. But the number two behind in-store signage now is the app. So the app really has turned into 
a way to shop, a way to create a list, a way to look for recipes. And that's why really populating all those fields, the other suggestions, um, an easy way to look in the ad and add it either to a list or a shopping basket, all those things are important. Um, and then that becomes part of the pre-tailing, but it could also be part of the post-tailing, which is really what we've been talking about relative to cooking instructions, et cetera, right? Where let's just say I took all the items from a certain recipe, I added them to my card, I had it delivered within the hour. And well, now I can actually also connect to shopping videos or maybe the chef giving me some uh, suggestions on what marinades to use or what have you. So it really could become a full circle and that's the beauty of digital. But yes, there is a lot of investment that has to happen in those areas. And I'm going to stop there because we have come full circle in talking about being part of that consideration set. And it is investing in those apps to get people to make sure that you are one of their go-to retailers, because as we continue to shrink, it's going to be harder. Um, it's going to be harder to find a Jana who wanders in off the street and is, is delighted by what she sees enough to maybe download the app. So with that, I want to just highlight some of the things because, wow, this was a really rich episode in terms of what retailers can be doing. And that is, you know, really work on marketing outside the store so that you get the traffic in the store. And apps are probably the way to go. Leverage those fresh departments to promote the digital app and get people to sign up. Um, focus on, again, the importance of ease. And it's, you know, we'll, we can never say it too much. Solutions, not silos. Um, I love those bunkers with the meal options because it does give you a little bit more ownership. You, you do feel like the hero when you've picked the right products for your family. That there is um, a lot to be said, even about promoting limited time offers, you know, borrow from the borrow from food service, um, because it's, it's another level of excitement and another level of, you know, maybe building FOMO. Like if you don't get it now, you're, it's going to be gone. Um, so I'm going to just end with that focus on the younger shoppers. Boomers might be where the money is right now, but the future, it's changing. We're changing right now. And you really need to lock in those younger shoppers before their habits are set. So with that, ladies, my fellow top women in grocery um, winners, I want to say um, thanks for your insights as always. And I'll talk to you next month. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to the Zirconic Growth Insights podcast so you don't miss an episode. And let us know what you'd like us to cover. We'll serve it up in a future episode. Look for us wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to review Zirconic Growth Insights. Want to learn more? Visit us at zircona.com and connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn.